Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, this is the third Sunday. We're going to wrap up our infancy narratives. That is Luke chapter 1 and 2. Um, we got pretty well up uh, through the uh, Luke 2, about 20 or something like that. Um, we've been seeing how uh, Luke does kind of a stair-stepping, John, Jesus, John, Jesus, uh, there's an angel appear, there's an angel appear, there's, you know, it, 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 the repetition is, is quite noticeable. Uh, we see that as he gets back to it, um, with each one, obviously Jesus is greater, better, more, and so it keeps getting higher as it goes. In Luke's first two chapters, uh, we have four canticles. We've already looked at the uh, Magnificat, where Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. Uh, we have uh, the Benedictus uh, from Zechariah, uh, in which he blesses God for this revelation which he has been uh, given, speaking first about Jesus, then about John. Uh, with chapter 2, verse 14, that short glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth, uh, we use or, the Magnificat. The, uh, the Magnificat is in the order of Vespers. Benedictus is the uh, alternate canticle for Matins. Glory and Excelsis we use every Sunday with the divine service, except during penitential seasons, uh, in which the Alleluia and, and these often go away for a time. Uh, and then the Nook Dimittis, which was included as the last canticle for evening prayer, uh, Luther moved to following communion. So having received our Lord, we say we now can depart in peace. We've seen God's salvation. Uh, and so we see uh, pretty well most of the canticles that are uh, scriptural, you do have the Venite, which is a psalm, the Uptodam, which is composed, but um, quite a few of the of the canticles that go with it. I showed you one of the uh, Greek words, the Ageneto Dei, and it happened. Uh, we saw that often in the King James it says that uh, it came to pass. Or, and here we have, and so it was, uh, the emphasis uh, upon certain things being important, and so it highlights uh, with that, with chapter, you have those with John, when we got to chapter 2, and that's what we were looking at last time, uh, the emphasis upon, here is coming uh, the account of Jesus, with chapter 2, verse 6, it mentions it again, and so like we had two here, we have two here, and immediately with uh, verse 6, it is the birth of Jesus that is described, but as we mentioned before, two, two, and then it goes above and beyond and higher, not only is it kaiogeneto, but there is the word suddenly stuck in there, and uh, between these two passages and other, is that glory and excelsis, so this emphasis Yes, the birth is important, but we need the announcement of it. This is a catechetical uh, document. This is one that is to teach the faith. 
And so there needs to be the proclamation of the word. The angels break in and tell the shepherds what's happened so that they can go and find Jesus. So we're going to see this emphasis upon where are we going to find Jesus? And therefore we'll have the assurance and, and we will know. And so that brings us kind of up through about chapter 2, verse uh, 20. For today, uh, we're taking a look uh, at the end of chapter 2. Of these first two chapters, the observances that the church uses, in which these are primary texts, uh, you have the Annunciation, which is the announcement uh, that Mary is going to have uh, a child. You then have the Visitation, where they go and visit uh Elizabeth, you have the account of the Nativity of our Lord, usually read on Christmas Eve, and so the, that there is uh, on New Year's Day or the eighth day afterwards the circumcision and naming uh, of Jesus. I probably ought to tell you a story. Um, I was at uh, after New Year's Eve service here, I went to a uh, ballroom dance for a couple hours, uh, um, and uh, as I'm there, I'm, I'm talking with one of the guys, and sometimes they'll often ask me, you know, different things, and, um, you know, the question is, so, so, how come you're late tonight, you know, for, for dance? Well, we had church, you know, so you start to explain, and uh, usually they start to ask questions like, well, all right, so I kind of get the Christmas Day and, you know, Easter and maybe even St. Patrick or something, but, uh, you know, what is this New Year's Day thing that you have church? You know, you don't have church on Groundhog's Day, do you? I mean, it's kind of a secular holiday, this New Year's. Well, so I began to explain to him, hey, listen, this is when Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, and he was named, and this is the beginning of the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of sins, you know. And, and so to, to explain, you know, actually this is a religious holiday that... Uh, that's why we have, have service on those days, or at least the eve of that service, uh, of that day. Uh, the presentation of our Lord, uh, usually February 2nd, it's 40 days after, if you take March 25th, or you take December, you, December 25th, <laughs> and you go 40 days, um, so you, you get to the, the presentation of our Lord. Um, <laughs> and exactly, exactly. So you begin to go, wait a minute. Yeah, we do have service in Groundhog's um, Today we'll be taking a look at Luke 2, 41 to 52, which is the uh, account of the 12-year-old Jesus at the temple. And so that's the one we'll take a look at. It also turns out that the first Sunday after Epiphany, according to the One Year series, is in fact this reading, and so this will be our reading uh, upstairs. Uh, we will take a look, we have time, kind of putting this in its context. Luke later, Luke 3, and then there's Luke 3 and 4, where we have the baptism of Jesus, John doing his ministry, and, and, and these kind of things. Um, he doesn't include everything. I know... Uh, 
Brian asked me about, uh, where did he get this stuff? Well, particularly when you see those accounts where it says, and Mary treasures these things in her heart, you kind of go, okay, he got it from Mary. Uh, um, you know, these things would only be known uh, in that way. There are some things that are left out. We had the Matthew 12. Uh, Matthew 12. That should be 2. Um, mark that one out. Matthew 2 is Jesus going down to Egypt when Herod is seeking to kill him. Matthew includes that. Luke doesn't include. That would have been in between when he was about one year old. On that he goes down to Egypt and then he comes back to Nazareth to live. So we don't have you know everything in there, but um, uh, with the four Gospels we, we can put it all together. So that gives us a little bit of an overview and kind of where we're going. Let's see if we can finish up uh, today. Luke chapter 2, I think you have a sheet in front of you. And let's go to... Uh, verse 39, and start there. Luke chapter 2, verse 39. And so, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Grab your Bible, get it out, go to Deuteronomy chapter 16, it's on page 188. So, when they got done with the 40-day presentation of Jesus, uh, it makes reference to, as we saw before, that he fulfilled everything required by the law. That is, Jesus has done all things uh, perfectly. They return back to their own city. Nazareth is going to be his city. It's going to be from where he lives and, and uh, goes out. 
it tells us that the child grew, so from 40 day until we get to him being uh, 12 years old, from this kind of point on, it's going to be twofold, I'm going to say. We're going to be pointing to who Jesus is and what is he doing? What's his role? What is the Father given him to do? With this, we continue to see things like his human nature grows in in wisdom and understanding, and he gets taller and stature and, and uh, bigger, and we see this normal human development. Jesus is true God, but he is also a true man. It says that he was filled with wisdom. It says that the grace of God was upon him. Where are you going to find God's grace? You're going to go wherever Jesus is. With Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, uh, we can also find this in Exodus in a couple places, but what do we find? Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. There were Old Testament requirements here, it says. Every year his parents went up at the Feast of the Passover, went to the temple, took this. It was a, uh, a customary thing that they would do this, and they did it according to the custom of the feast. Well, what was this? So at the Passover, you went, there was the ceremonial liturgical killing of the Passover lamb, and uh, that was on uh, Nisan 14, and on Nisan 15, there was the meal that the families would have together in, in Jerusalem, not at the temple, but at, at their homes. Um, and so, they went up, as it says, according to the custom, uh, God's word requires certain things, but uh, similar to, I would say, us today, there are some things that we we just make decisions. I mean, it's not, I don't say exactly that you have to cross yourself and do this, but this is what we follow. This is our uh, uh, way of celebrating the feast. They follow that for sure. And in this going up to the feast, we don't have uh, it told us about the other two feasts, but this one is important, particularly because this is who Jesus is. He's our Passover lamb. He's the one that is going to suffer and die for us. Alright, so they go up. When they had finished the days, you stayed at least two days, as I said, there was the sacrifice one day and the eating the meal the next, but there was also a seven-day feast that then would end up with another festival on the eighth day kind of thing, but we don't know exactly how long, but uh, they went up and then they left. As they returned, I I like the the way it mentions um, 
when Jesus goes to the temple on 40 days, it calls him the child Jesus. And now this is the boy Jesus. Um, or in the uh, narrative, it refers to him as the babe, the baby, uh, with, with the narrative. Uh, so designating the boy Jesus, that would be the 12-year-old Jesus. What happens? He lingered behind, he stayed behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Did not know it. What's going on? And I thought that Jesus was always doing what was right and not sinning. And here, he doesn't go with his parents. Wanders off. Um, got distracted. He's of the age that he would have been to start learning in the temple. Yeah. Um, and he didn't uh, defy a direct request. Nope. Apparently, they hadn't thought of saying that. He's been going up there for quite some time. At this point, at the 12th year, he decides, okay, I'm staying. I, in fact, I'm going to say, I think he believes Joseph and Mary are leaving him. They're leaving him at the temple. That's what he thinks. I guess they don't think this. But 12 years old, this was the time, and, and you know, I don't want to put uh, uh, post-Judaism after, Christian, after they have rejected Christianity back upon this, but this is like his bar mitzvah. <laughs> this is his ceremony. This is after age 12, you're considered a man. Um, you know, uh, uh, and, and so Jesus figures out, great, this is, you know, they must have made a big deal about now you're a man, now you're here, and he goes, great, he's staying. At least that's... Is there precedent for this? Yes. Get your scriptures out. Let's take a look at Samuel. First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 1. I've talked about Samuel before. Uh, what's the story about Samuel? Hannah is unable to have a child. She prays and asks God, and God provides for her uh, a child by promise. We're going to find out that then she makes, we're going to see about her vow and how she leaves him at the temple. But I mentioned this before because we had the similar thing with Elizabeth and Zechariah being old, and then how Samuel's coming for Hannah mirrors John the Baptist coming for these elderly parents. And so there is, uh, with Samuel, there's a great re religious revival. With John the Baptist, there is a religious revival. All right, so take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, page 262. Uh, going on to, let's see, uh, verse 11. Uh, she's not able to have, she goes up with them. Every time she goes to the temple, she ends up crying. With verse 11, or verse 10, In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So, 
as she is praying there, she makes this vow to give me a child and I'll give him to you. Verse 12, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Normally, prior to a lot of written word and things of that sort, this idea that you would pray without speaking was just unheard of. Um, They just didn't do it. That's kind of a modern kind of idea. If you're going to pray, you you talk. Um, If you're going to think, you can think, but that's not praying. Um, We have an account uh, in early Christendom of Ambrose, I believe it is, and uh, one of the disciples noticed that he was praying and his lips were moving and nothing was coming out, and his disciple was just offended. Oh, what was going on, you know? Um, So, even already at this time, so, what is Eli? Uh, Eli thought she was drunk. That's That's what's going on. How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine, right? Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answers then, Go in peace. May the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Well, there's the answer. Um, does Eli you know, realize this? I guess not, but uh, he gives the word, and yes, she goes home. Uh, Look at verse 19. Early the next morning they arose, worshiped before the Lord. They went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. So, Elkanah says, all right, next time it's time to go to the temple. You ready to go with us? And Hannah says, nope, I'm not going. What? Why aren't you going? She says, I'm going to stay with the child. And when the child is weaned, that is, he's no longer nursing and he can be on his own, I'll take him up to the Lord and we'll leave him there. And that's exactly what uh, uh, she does. Uh, verse 23, Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. And so that's what happened. Uh, verse 24, After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with the three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And then we have Hannah's Magnificat, if you will, her words which sound a whole lot like uh, Elizabeth's uh, or Mary's uh, thing. Verse 11, Then Elkanah went to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli, uh, the priest. Verse 18, But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual 
sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you the chil- give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And then they would go home, and we see that uh, uh, the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. The boy, Samuel, the boy, Jesus, um, it just sounds like, I, I must say, they're leaving him there. Um, and, and that's what's going to happen. He stays. What happens? They get up the next day. They figure that, you know what? All the relatives, everybody in their family, all the groups, you know, the cousins are playing together. They're hanging out. Uh, they get to the resting place for the night. And they begin to ask, so is Jesus with, you know, you, or is he with you? And they find out he's not with any of them. So they spend the night. They now have to come back the next day, and already it's late. I don't know if they looked, but couldn't find him. And now it's the third day. They sought him among their relatives and acquaintances, couldn't find him, and they couldn't find him. They returned. So now, so it was after three days that they found. Three days? Yeah, right. <laughs> huh? Yeah. yeah it, Would that be a type? It, well, yes. Yeah. Is that a type? Is that pointing us forward? You know, always. All, I mean, and, and this happens again and again and again. There's a lot of three days of misery. So if you can hold on to the fourth day, maybe there's something in that. You are right. You are right. Uh, well, today they'd be looking for a counselor. <laughs> I'd be running you are right. counselor. I've had experience. Um, all right. Um, after three days, they found him in the temple. What's going on there? Sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Artists sometimes draw pictures of various narratives and things that happen. Uh, Probably one of the most well-known of this one has the teachers of the law in the temple pretty well all sitting down, and you see Jesus standing up, this little 12-year-old boy, and he's lecturing the those in the temple. You know, I mean, it's as if Jesus is, you know, in the... Uh, teacher's lounge teaching the teachers. Is that what's going on? No. He's still learning. He's still learning. Is that okay? I mean, can we have Jesus, the Son of God? If he's learning from God's Word. And what do you think he... Does Does he need to learn from God's Word? Maybe Maybe he does. What now? The man does. The, yeah, his human nature, like us, has to learn. And where is he going to learn about who he is and what he is to do? It's in the Word of God. All of us get that. So, you know, to say Jesus became man and he was in every way like us, with the exception of sin, I mean, there's a comfort of knowing that Jesus had to deal with the stuff that we have to deal with. And 
he also had to study the word of God. I was wondering too if everyone was learning from that Q and A session. So we've got him sitting there. He is listening to. So what would we say? Well, interesting. The um, this is the only point that the. Uh, that Luke refers to these as the teachers, the didaskalos. In other places, he calls them the scribes and the priests and the uh, um, other. But here he calls them the teachers. And what do we have? Jesus going and sitting in the temple, we might say, and it's not perfect now, but he's sitting in church and he's listening to those who have been placed in the pastoral office to teach him. Jesus learning from pastors? What in the world? Yeah. Why? He's human. Go ahead. And if he had been, like you talk about these paintings of whatever, if he had been trying to teach them, they would have killed him a long time ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, but I He knew his vocation. I want to ask a basic question that has that I've had ever since I was a child. Um we know that Anna lived in the temple, and we assume that there were things to support her. If Jesus was there for three days, what do you know of anything that there would be a, a support, a food for him, a place to sleep, or anything, or is he just, you know, homeless for three days? And right. Um, no. However, I mean, some <clears throat> talk about that. Uh, Mary and Joseph leave after the second day. Mm -hmm. There's still five more days of the festival and the feast. And with that, you know, there's going to be what's like the state fair. You know, there's all kinds of festivals and and food and, and stuff like that. So I don't think it's that big a deal. But, you know, is it possible that he fasted and did what he you know, could for three days, yeah, very well. It was um, just a childish thought, you know, but yeah, that's yeah. important, I think. Um, but, we, but, but that's where we find him. Um, these pastors, weren't they sinners? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. As is your pastor today. And yet you continue to listen. Why? Because they've been put in that position. And he is going to, and I think you're right, in the asking of questions... Jesus does not have simple nature. And so his learning is, you know, he doesn't have to put away simple thoughts. He doesn't have to do with that. And so the perfect knowledge of as you teach him, he's connecting it all. He's putting it together. And so I'm sure that he's asking questions about these connections that, you know, when 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 someone says, hey, do you see that this is a type of... And I go, whoa, that's an interesting... Uh, you know, so yes, I absolutely. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, but, but of course, um, they were, and I would say, those who heard him were astonished. Why? At his understanding, and they questioned him. Um, he's giving answers. And what he is giving, whoa, Think of how even more astonished they would have been if years later they realized they were teaching Jesus. 
they were teaching the Seneca, right? Yeah. Well, right. Were, were they ever looking back over what they taught, thinking, I hope I taught them the right thing? Yeah, right. Who was? <laughs> um, I wonder how much I messed yep. up, right? So we see Jesus coming. We see him coming. We see him listening. Um, he is there. Finally, on the third day, when they, we're going back to Joseph and Mary, when they saw him, it says they were amazed. What, what astonished them? What amazed them that the third day they get there and, well, they see this going on? The teachers were actually listening to him and interacting with him where they're thinking, you know, he's just a little boy up there causing problems. Do you think Joseph and Mary knew who Jesus was? Sure they knew. Well, yeah, they've been told, you know, and so they're raising him. Um, do we have... I, I think whenever they saw him, not only did they say, oh my goodness, he's okay, but he's even grown and mature in the last three days. Yes, yes. Uh, um, and so you begin to see, whoa, this, you know, what is he doing? What's he about? Um, he's taking his role seriously to learn what the Messiah is and what he is to do. They're amazed to find him in the temple. They're amazed to find him, but then they see this going on. Um, and this has never happened before, so even though they've been told who he is, they don't know what to expect from that. And this... Yeah, I, I mean, how much do they know? Um, well, it's all there in the scriptures. But how often do we, I mean, they know he's the Savior. He knows he's the one. He's the Christ. They've been hearing things. Um, they've heard Simeon uh, explain that uh, he is going to be a sign spoken against and a sword will pierce your own heart. I mean, there, there are lots of things that Mary is pondering. Mm -hmm. And now we have kind of what appears to be the beginning this is it. You're leaving me in the temple. I'm going about my job. It's all going to start. But it's a false start. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, you know, Mary and Joseph are going to hit the reset button. And instead of him starting his ministry at age 12, it won't happen until he's 30. But, you know, you've got to think, he's lived with him now for 12 years. And since he's sinless, he had to have been an amazing child. <laughs> you know, so it, it's in a way it's surprising that they are amazed there because yeah. he, yes. he, he had to have been this amazing child for this whole time to, to be their first child. To be, you, so they don't know who he's better course. Yeah, and I, I do think, too, I mean, we also... You know, would I notice if someone was without sin? Well, in some ways you would think, well, of course I would. Just you accept know. a good child, that's all. But at the same time, you know, I mean, if you're a child, you played with toys, you did the stuff, you know, when you're 12, you begin to do things. I mean, you know, you still wear your clothes, you still eat, you still talk, you still, I mean, in some instances you kind of go, well, yeah, we know he is, you know, Without sin, and yet he's still a, a twelve-year-old. It's too soon. It's too soon. That's what it's too soon. Yes, 
Well, you know, they don't have any template because nobody's ever raised a Messiah before. You know, there's, there's no handbook for no handbook for parents raising Messiahs. You know, and not only that, of course, you know, we've, we've got the advantage. We know how the story worked out. They don't have a clue. I mean, okay, yeah, we've you know, we've got the Son of God living with us, but but what happens? Right. And they don't know. They don't. Right. Mary says, "Son, why have you done this to us?" To us. <laughs> and she tells us who the us is. Your father and I play the father card. Your father and I have sought you anxiously. There's a lot of worry that has gone on. Um, all right, you're married. And so what? God gave you his child. And you lost the Christ child. For three days, you don't know where. I mean, um, you know, Sadie wandered away in Washington, D.C. for about 60 seconds. And, you know, we still talk about this story. And I, I'm, yeah, But three days? And you lost God's son? Um, who else is in charge? Joseph, the guardian, who is supposed to watch over Mary and... I mean, this is complete breakdown. When she says to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Um, you know, you can kind of explain it away, but I'm sorry, she's, she's really accusing him of wrongdoing. Um, I, yeah, you can get around it, but really, this is just over the top. Um, and the worry that, that we have had concerning this. Answer. He said to them, first words in red. First time we hear Jesus speak in the scriptures is when he is 12. Why did you seek me? And did you not know that I must be about my father's business? First of all, the father's business. Um, there are some translations that translated that I had to be in my father's house. Um, there are some uh, uh, minor texts that, that seem to go this way. Um, the text, though, deals with things. And so to say it's my father's business, my father's things, um, does it imply that you are in the father's house where his father's things are? Absolutely. And so I can see the connection with that. But this is probably something I had to be about my father's business, my his, his things. That's what I'm about. So first of all, he tells them, so why were you looking for me? This is where I'm going to go back to. I'm pretty sure he goes, you left me there. I'm 12. You put me in the temple. I, where did you think I'd be? Um... What else? He thinks they're leaving him. And who is he? Mary says, your father and I, Jesus counters with my father. My father. My father. Fourth commandment is we have the biological mother, the adopted father, but we also have, you know, our it's usual have no, commandment. This first. first commandment. Now this is first. First trumps, you know, first, second, third, always trump fourth with ten. Yeah. Um, 
but this is Jesus. I mean, I, I like to play one off against the other, you know. I like to justify my sin by claiming I, you know, this commandment is better and therefore you, you know. Jesus has to keep them all all the time. And he is. And he is. Why did you seek me? And did you not know I had to be about my father's business? What is he telling them? This is who I am. Who is he? The son of God. He's God's son. And God is his father. So therefore, what's his, if that's who he is, true God, not only true man, but also true God. Second, what's his job? Savior. Do God's will. To teach the teachers. <laughs> um, okay. i got to be about my father's stuff. I have to do my father's will. But you know, in 12 years, they've lived day to day, just to live they ordinary life. And it must be, they must have kind of forgot about, who, not forgot it, but that was on the back burner most of the time, probably, who he really was. Um, did Jesus learn to be a carpenter from his father? You know, yes. I mean, you know, those kind of things. And yet, when it comes to, just like for us, this is not, this is not that Jesus, you know, had his prayer desk and, and prayed there like a monk, seven prayer offices every day. He lived like we did growing up, and they went to synagogue or church, and they, you know, I mean, so you're right, there's some normality that, that goes with this, but this is not the child that falls asleep in church. This is not the child that doesn't care about this, are we done, can I go play now? This is the one who is concerned about the will of God. Could we assume at this point that they have discussed with him how he came about and he just assumed it was kind of I think all along they've been telling him, here's what the angel said, here's the shepherd, let's talk about the wise men. I mean, all of these stories are told to him as well as, as he's then going to the scriptures, you know, we read these passages about the suffering servant and Jesus reads those in Isaiah and goes, oh, that's me, I'm going to suffer. Um, I'm going to be like a lamb who goes to the shears, and I, you know. So, absolutely, Brian. I think the hardest part for all of us is this has always bothered me about this passage. Is this is a major milestone in somebody's life. You don't do this without a discussion. I mean, I would never take my none of us would ever take our kids somewhere and then just go off and leave them. So that that's the hardest part for me. <laughs> I know Jesus has never sinned, and he doesn't hasn't sinned, but that's hard for right. me that, that, you know, you don't just drop your, you don't leave your kids somewhere without a conversation. He's right. You can understand that. And yet, that's what Jesus assumes. You know, I, I, uh, um, you know I, I'm, I just play the scenario in my brain, is that everybody's getting ready to go, you know, they're all packing up, Jesus is hanging around with whatever, and then they get up and they all leave, and when they all get up and leave, Jesus goes, okay, they're gone, I'm leaving, you know goes back, but yeah, I mean, there are, uh, we don't hear everything. He probably thought, you know, his pending arrival, his his arrival, everything had angels involved in that, and they probably figured, well, whenever it's time for him to go out and do whatever he's going to do, there's going to be an angelic announcement or something. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. Is that right? With, with this up to this point again 
we've talked about vocation, we've talked about job, we've talked about being human and all. I think also this idea that somehow Jesus had direct revelations and all, you know. No, he goes to the Word of God, just as we go to the Word of God. It's always in the means of grace, this idea that he speaks apart from that. That's another thing that this, this highlights, that we make use of the, uh, the means that God has set up, pastoral office, church, teaching, those things, all around to that. I don't know that we know this, but I guess we would assume that Jesus' uh, education in the scriptures came from his local synagogue, wherever they were living, and it clearly wasn't the plan for him to go to Jerusalem and go through and be in there, because then it would have been a whole different scenario of him, kind of like Mark Luther breaking away. Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, so we're going to find out. He goes back to Nazareth, and as far as we know... He simply lives in Nazareth till he's 30. So what his parents taught him and what his local synagogue And what the little synagogue taught and, you know, uh, uh, hearing the word of God. And, yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that's, that's what he has. I have a problem with this because Jesus always was the Son of God. He is not the same as our children. He's not the same as us. He's different. Yeah. Did Jesus always have all of the gifts that God has? Yes. Did he always use them? No. And right there is where the problem comes in. Because we can't understand that. Verse 47 says, All who heard him were astonished at his understanding. He had understanding that he didn't learn. He always knew it from before time began. He was God. He always knew that. He taught them the Old Testament in a way that they had never been taught before. Now, how this works, I have no idea. But I'm sure that that's the case. Because Jesus had to learn how to live on earth, but he did not have to learn how to be God. Two, two things. Verse 50. Humiliation and exaltation, the two states of Christ. When we define those, you know, the state of exaltation after his resurrection, you know, does he fully and always make use of his divine nature? What about the state of humiliation? No. He did not fully and always. There are sometimes he made use of the knowledge of his divine nature. There are sometimes that he did miracles, which had to be through his mind. But he didn't he the humiliation is he allowed them he could have stopped it, but he allowed them to harm him. He allowed you know uh, um so as Pastor Rin speaks of these yeah, that's that. the two natures. What do we have? Yeah, I don't know how this works. Because according to his divine nature, he had all of this. According to his human nature, Jesus increased in wisdom. He learned and actually learned this, who he was. And he grew actually in stature, um, you know, from the uh, probably the 12-year-old skinny boy to shoulders and, you know, um, uh, 
and talks about favor with God and man. So we see, you know, but how do these two relate together? It's very hard. Eric had a question. So is, is Pastor in saying that the teachers at this temple did not correctly understand God's word? Because I don't know. They didn't know who he was? Well, that's pretty obvious as you go through the New Testament. The teachers at the temple, very few of them understood the Old Testament. Well, so he was listening to them and asking them questions. He was learning from them. They had to have some understanding. He was learning what they didn't know. He was learning what they taught. What they did. very clearly exactly. like he's learning from them. But what was he learning? That's the question. He was learning their gaps. He was knowledge. learning their false teaching. And then by asking his questions, he was... <clears throat> Understanding what they were saying, false teaching in there. Pardon? Where is it talking about their false teaching? It doesn't talk about it in this text, but all through the New Testament, it talks about the false teaching of the Jewish teachers. So the one time where they're listening to them, where they're listening to him, that's where they're. I don't, no, I don't he's know. I'm confused where this false teaching is. It sounds like he's learning from them. He is learning. Why would he learn their false teaching? He's, they're just well, teaching in the scriptures, and he's he taking it in. ask questions that maybe points out to them that what you're saying doesn't make sense. So, you know, and he doesn't say that to them. He's doing it very explanation and gently. Karen? Um, I think there was right teaching in the church all through history. Right. So we don't know when. But, but not perfect. No. See, there's a difference between right teaching and perfect teaching. Christ had perfect teaching. There, there was no falseness in his teaching. Very good, Ken. He pretty much covered what I was saying, but it seems to me like they're teaching. He's teaching them through the questions. Uh, right. Yeah. Stuff that they don't understand. Right. Right. It's like he's teaching them and listening at the same time. Yeah, and I don't. I'm. You know. I. I. I don't. Well. You know. I. I don't see so much that that is listed, and I'm going to say simply because of the reference to them being the didascalos, the teachers, as it has in Greek, that it designates them as a little bit different here. The. Um, uh, and I, I, I'm still going to put Jesus not standing up and, and lecturing them, but um, you know, in my understanding, it would appear to me I think he's he's doing it in a very respectful way. You know, this is not the. I mean, everyone, you know, you know the uh, the the kid that sits in the classroom and you know by his thing he mocks the teacher and whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that if there was a misunderstanding, you know, obviously they're sinners, they're not perfect, but I'm sure Jesus is going to go, well then how does this work? Because it says this here, you know what I mean? He's genuinely coming there too, because why? God the Father set this up for teaching. So it's it's going on. Um, that's, that's, that's what we have. Um, Mary? Uh, Eric brought up what I wanted to ask about and what Pastor was saying. We have to remember the, the talk on the road to Emmaus and the fact that by his questions, 
Jesus was ascertaining whether they were expecting a Messiah, perhaps, and what they were looking for. And he was just staying mum about that with what he already knew. And I agree that that, uh, this teaches him what he has to do in the future to bring them around to accepting a Messiah at the right time. And uh, he would not have been uh, disrespectful at all. But he was gathering information, which is not necessarily the same as teaching, whether it's false or, or not. He's finding out what they think and what they're teaching to other people. I'll come to you in just a minute, Jonathan. The reference that Mary made to the Emmaus disciples, which is Luke 24, they're going away, they're leaving Jerusalem because they think that it's all over, they don't know he's risen from the dead, Jesus goes and walks with them, and he teaches them. It has, it, it, it's got to bring up with this, because Luke does this again and again, where he redoes, there's questions being asked, there is a lack of understanding, and then there is a, all of a sudden, a, a, uh, an understanding that comes about with this, and so Jesus is explaining his business. Uh, absolutely, that Luke 24 with the Emmaus disciples kind of serves as a bookend. You finally have it. But what do we have here? We have, they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Um, you know, when Jesus gets done speaking this, Mary and Joseph don't... They don't get it. Get it. No. It's okay. <laughs> they, have their, they have their role. Jonathan. So, it, it's hard for me to understand the idea that, that Jesus is, is true God, he, so he's all-knowing, he knows everything, but that he still has to then learn. Because, I mean, we always talk about how Jesus is humbled himself. He, part of him taking on human nature, he's humbled himself to be like us. And so... I was, but that he's, you know, he still has to learn how to read. He still has to learn how to write. He learns from his parents, and so when he's at the temple, he still has to learn the scriptures. So later in in his ministries, when he when he quotes and talks about Moses, that you know that comes from him having humbled himself as human nature, and then taken uh, and then still learn the scriptures from. Right, so there is one person, and yet we talk about two natures. It's easy for me to talk about one and to talk about the other. Now I'm having trouble, <laughs> and I, I think I think we're left with that. I mean, there's there's nothing I, I uh, you yeah. can't understand. Like Mary um, understand. If, if, if we could understand that, we would have the mind of God. That's right. But but it does present it with those. You know, things he increased in wisdom. Um, Eric, and then that's that was kind of my point with bringing that up. I wasn't trying to raise hell with it, but it was we've been inserting a lot of what could have happened, what I think might have happened into this passage. And at some point, you have to just take it face value because Lutherans do not insert what we think into the scriptures, right? We interpret it in terms of the rest of the scriptures, but right now, we we have to take it at what it says here. And that's what we have. Rachel? In Kim's book, The Two Natures in Christ, 
it talks about this in that it's it's specifically demonstrating the two natures in one person in this passage where he's both listening to the teachers and also demonstrating his understanding of what he's being taught by asking them questions because in that day the teachers asked the questions most normally until you got to a certain point you weren't asking questions you simply listened and so it demonstrates an understanding which is far above what he's what his age level is and that's why they were astonished <laughs> right not rebuking them at this point. He's no. gently, you know, looks like my Baptist neighbor telling me how he's got to do these works, and I gently remind him of the gospel. <laughs> That's probably what's going on here. This isn't he's not standing up and rebuking him and saying you're wrong. And da, da, da. you know, he's he's listening and he's got this full comprehension of, of the scripture because it's sinless, and then he's he's maybe gently nudging them. <laughs> Very good analogy. Fifty-one. He went down with them. Uh, up here, they went up to Jerusalem. What does he do? He goes, oh, you're not leaving me? In the, nope. Okay. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. Um, therefore, he submits to them. He goes back with them and lives in Nazareth. We don't see him show up again until Luke 3. Luke 4. Um... Uh, he is subject to them, fourth commandment, as he has always been. Um, Mary, though she did not understand, keeps these things in her heart, and we see that between 12 and 30, he continues to grow. And that's why it's just so cool that the church down the street is called the Carpenter's Place, because that was his most important work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rachel? Yeah. <laughs> well, and you immediately get to the wedding in Cana, which is kind of even more awesome in direct relation to this, because that at that point, Mary says, take this to Christ and take these jars to Christ and tell them, you know, they need wine. Yeah. And in faith, she trusts that, Christ, that Jesus will do it. But he says it's not time. But it is time then. This right. is interesting. Now it is time. Um, go to Luke 3 at page 1016. Charlie? I just think it's interesting that he grew in favor with God. Yeah. You would think, being God, you'd think he wouldn't have to grow in favor with God. Right. And so, um, normally when we speak about those things, um, yes, you, know, you can see that uh, he pleases his heavenly Father by his attention to the Word of God, by his obedience to his parents, by his... Yes. Um, for human nature, growth is always appropriate. For the divine nature, there is neither, there's not growth. God is already, he's perfect. But for human, there is. Um, end of Luke 2, on page 1016, you know, this is where he has favor. Uh, all of a sudden the text stops with Luke chapter 3. We have John the Baptist on the scene. Similar kind of thing. What do you see at the beginning? We have the time frame being given exactly when this happened. John's out in the wilderness. What's he doing? All the things that Zechariah uh, said he was going to do. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And he is teaching them and he is baptizing. And then he gets thrown in prison. Go to verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And now we have the baptism of Jesus. Uh, with Luke 2.21, uh, uh, 2, 
Um, going on to uh, verse 23. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And then it goes through a genealogy. Uh, this is the way Luke does it. And he says, okay, he's baptized. It's time for him to start. This is the point at which the father points out. Now, in, the, in this account, he's about his father's business and he wants to do the stuff his father has given him. This is why I don't think it's a matter of I'm, I'm at the temple. It's not the place. It's the things that he is doing. When we get to his baptism, the heavenly father says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. He now identifies him and says, go about the work of my son. Do the stuff you've been given to do. And that is what he does when he began his ministry. We see the genealogy. And then Luke 4 immediately has what? The Holy Spirit sends him out in the wilderness to do battle with the devil. When you begin your ministry, you got to go defeat someone. And this is what happens immediately with his baptism. He has to go uh, uh, take care of this. So this gives us kind of the start of, of Luke um, you know, one thing that has always puzzled me, and I've never understood this, why were the Jews going out to John to be baptized? I mean, to me, it seems like this was something new. So why were they thinking, I mean, is this is this in the Old Testament? Because, you know, we hear about the circumcision and stuff, but just all of a sudden they... They understand that they're supposed to be baptized. I'm confused about that. Because of that right teaching. Because of that right teaching. That yes, in the yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, Isaiah prophesies of John and all of these things. But but why did this happen? Um, I mean, you, you, you can go to the Old Testament. You can go to the teaching. You can go to, there's this unusual guy in camel's hair uh, and a leather belt eating locusts. And he's out in the wilderness preaching and... and have you heard this guy? I mean, he preaches like nobody else. And that, too, is what we see. All right, well, this wraps this up. Um, next time, we're going to go back and, and finish up our, from about 1981 or something like that, um, and finish up. It'll take us three or four Sundays or two or three. We'll see how, how long it takes to kind of finish up the history. We'll be back at that next time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We ask, dear Lord, in those things that we do not understand, that we would continue to hold to your word, that we would continue to uh, hear uh, your Son, who tells us who he is and what he has done. With that, we would be satisfied. In his name we pray. Amen.